New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. skilled at leadership includes self-discipline, self-awareness, and emotional intelligence. Whether or not we're employed full-time, these skills continue to be needed where we stand in our everyday lives. They enhance our effectiveness, whether we're running a household, participating in a church group, belonging to an activist group in your community, or the many other groups in which we participate. We all need to be lifelong learners in developing strong and effective leadership and problem-solving skills as we continue to engage with others. This will be the topic today with our guest Marguerite Calloway. Marguerite Calloway is the founder and CEO of the Calloway Leadership Institute, an international leadership development and strategy company whose mission is to help current and aspiring leaders reach their full potential. She's the author of The Energetics of Business, a practical guide for bringing your business to life. Join us for the next hour as we explore the lifelong need for effective leadership skills with our guest, Marguerite Calloway. I'm speaking with Marguerite in her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Marguerite, may I call you Maggie? By all means. Oh, great. (laughs) Maggie, welcome to New Dimensions. I'm so delighted to be here. I'm so delighted to have you as well. First of all, as I said in the introduction, you know, we're connecting with groups all the time, whether we're working a nine to five job. But if you go to the internet, you'll find a plethora of all sorts of leadership advice, but it's really in business. And I want to go beyond that. And I know that you are able to go beyond that. You're very good at that. But also, what about leadership in our everyday life? Why is that important to upgrade our skills, so to speak, in everyday life leadership? Well, I personally think, from my own observation, is that um, we need leadership to move forward in all aspects of our life. And so one of the things that I've got, people will say, what is leadership? And what I have come to watch after decades of watching and working as a leader myself is a leader is somebody who steps forward 
And I'm going to talk about constructive leadership because we're seeing a lot of destructive leadership around us. Is constructive leadership, those are the individuals who are willing to say something better can be happening. And they're willing to stand up and it's it's an inner feeling of things can be different. Things can be better. And it doesn't matter what area you're working in, whether it's in your own home, because homes have leaders, but so do organizations and communities and schools and so forth. So it's it's a way of being in the world as opposed to where you do it. Does that help explain that? Oh, absolutely. I love it. You're saying it's a way of being in the world. And one of the skill sets of leadership is to be authentic, to know who you are, to actually have some self-awareness. Where does that come in to leadership? Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that, and you mentioned it during your introduction, is at the end of the day, what leaders need to first do is become who they are. You use the word authentic leadership. Okay, authentic. Well, if you're going to be authentic, that means you come to know who you are individually. And that requires an inner journey. One of the things that I often talk about is real leadership is an inside-out process that you first have to start with yourself. Who am I? What do I believe? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are those qualities that I have? So self-awareness is absolutely the first step as you develop as a leader. But you also have to develop a level of self-acceptance of who am I? And, um, And we have trouble doing that. We have these projections of ourselves of, well, this is what I should be and this is what I should do. And that's kind of learned and projections. But at the end of the day, it's who am I as a human being? And this is having done leadership development all over the world. This is way underneath culture. It is who am I as a human being? And we all have the capacity to explore that. And so so to me, self-awareness is actually the starting point of coming to terms with your capacity as an authentic leader. I love that. I love that. And Maggie, I'm I'm thinking, like, I'll, I'll give an example. Here we are, we're in some sort of group, and we have our expectations of that group, and maybe it's not being led. You talk about constructive leadership, and it's not happening well, and we're kind of feeling a little bit frustrated. And I'm reminded of a moment decades ago when I first started circle work. And there was a particular woman in our circle. I didn't even know these women. So we were all invited uh, to come and be on a, a houseboat on Lake Shasta for a week. And we didn't know each other, but we were going to learn about circle. And at some point in that circle, uh, one of the women, Robin Posen, who is a great leader herself, we we were trying to figure out how we're going to go forward. And she said, I want it my way. I just want to do it my way. And we were all shocked to hear her say that. It just like was shocking because we're trying to cooperate and trying to be nice to each other and all of that. And then she followed that up by saying, and each one of you can do it your way. (laughs) And it 
took, and I'm, I just now realized as I was preparing for our getting together, Maggie, today, I just realized that was a moment that in her leadership, she took us deeply into our authenticity. Like yes. we started to drop, oh, well, here's, as you said earlier, here's what I should do and here's how I should be and and I don't want to rock the boat or all that stuff. And so we all had to look deeply at, okay, what is it that we really want? I know that you relate to this story. So if you could help flesh that out for, for us in a bit. Well, I, first of all, that's a beautiful, beautiful example of somebody who's done the work within herself. You said that she's a great leader. And and when you first said it, I started to get a little uncomfortable. Of she was kind of going to go my way or the highway. But what she was doing was she was stepping forward and saying, I know who I am. And this is, I want to do it my way, but I give you permission. And not only permission, I'm encouraging you because each one of you is going to do it your way. And you see, Justine, so much of leadership is everybody has their own approach. And, and what's going to work with somebody is not going to work for somebody else. Otherwise, that's copycatting, okay? And we have so much copycatting going along of, oh, it should look like this, it should do this, it should do that. Whereas part of the goal of a leader is literally to help cultivate and bring forward the innate capacities of the people around them. That's another aspect of leadership is there's an unselfishness. There's both a courage and I am who I am, but I'm not afraid of you being who you are. And again, I want to focus on constructive, constructive work. And that takes courage, but it also takes an overall openness. And you and I both know that those circle, uh, that whole circle work has gone on for over 50 years, I think. But she she called it forward. That's a true leader. She wasn't afraid. She wasn't trying to make you like her. She was able to say, and each one of you have a role to play. Now let's look at that and let's get to work. That's your authenticity. Bringing forward the, giving permission for bringing others to that authentic place within themselves. And it's so true. And it was because we just then went deep. You mentioned something about including everybody in the group. And we've all been in groups where there are those of us who are loud and are extroverted. Let's let's say extroverted. And we jump in. I mean, I know I have to be careful about jumping in because I get so excited about something. And then there are those quiet people that that kind of sit back. Uh, so how how as as a person in the group I think it takes some high noticing of all the people there. And how do we bring out those people who are more quiet but might have some profound things to say? Well, you brought up the concept of extroversion. And you use the word loud. But extroversion is people that are comfortable being out there. And so louds to also look at the concept of introversion. And by the way, we have fabulous extroverted leaders and introverted leaders. And, and I'll just say very simply, one of the things that I do when I'm coaching and working with leaders is if your tendency is that of extroversion, you need to tune it down just a little when you're in the group as a whole. And if you're introverted, you need to turn it up a little bit. 
But now let's talk about who those people are, those quiet people. They take in most everything. They're extremely thoughtful. And the word that I have learned over the years is that they're self-contained. They do a tremendous amount of internal processing. And the one thing they're not prepared to do is to put out a half-baked idea. Okay, they want to do the concepts themselves, whereas an extrovert is saying, well, this is what I'm thinking about. What do you think about? So there's a there's a there's a different approach towards it. And so those extrovert introverts, so a good leader, if you're in that kind of a group and believe me, they exist in all places, is one of the most important things to do is to make sure that those people have a chance to speak and introverts do not like to be unprepared. And so sometimes if you're leading a group or in a meeting, you might want to give them a heads up to say, you know what, I am going to be calling on you about thus and such, which gives them a chance, gives them a chance to collect their thoughts and to say what what it is that they that they want to say. Does this make sense? Oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. And sometimes we we won't have the time because we won't know. That, mm-hmm. that we'll be able to give them a heads up ahead of time. I want to talk about that in just a moment. I want to make sure that people know that I'm here with Maggie Calloway or Marguerite Calloway, and she is the leader and CEO and founder of the Calloway Leadership Institute. If you want more information about her work, you can go to her website callawayleadership.com. And she spells her name C-A-L-L-A-W-A-Y, just like it sounds, callawayleadershipinstitute.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Marguerite Calloway, and I'm, I've got permission to call her Maggie, and uh, many of us do call her Maggie. Um, you, you mentioned something about calling forth. We were talking about calling forth the quiet ones. That just reminds me of delegating. This is a hard one for me. I'm raising my hand here and saying, okay. Okay, I I admit it's hard for me to delegate. I just rather I'd say, oh, it's going to take too much time to train someone to do something, and so I'm just going to do it myself. So talk about the skill within a group. If we turn out to be a leader of a group, what is your advice about delegating? Okay, 
Well, I want to finish because this is this is relevant to build on on the introversion and extroversion is one of the things that, uh, as I said, you have outstanding extroverted leaders and introverted leaders. But one person that I think we all know, and I use examples that people are familiar with, but Barack Obama, one of our former presidents, is a strong introvert. Believe it or not, his wife, Michelle, is a very strong extrovert. And you can see it in, in their writings and all of this. But one of the things that Barack uh, got to in a habit was he would never have a serious meeting without requiring, and people knew coming into the meeting, that everyone was going to be called on to have their point of view. Because he stood up and said, I take the responsibility to make the final decision, but I need your input. I need your input. And I'm going to take it seriously. And so now that leads somewhat into delegation, Justine, is that none of us are good at everything, okay? None of us are good at everything. And time is one of our scarcest gifts and quantities. Nobody gets 27 hours in a day. Nobody gets 22. It's 24 hours. And so part of leadership is really coming down to saying, how do I use that effectively and acknowledging, this is part of self-awareness, I can't do everything. I'm interested, but I can't do everything, and I need to stay focused on what I'm doing. Now, when we get to delegation, it also, part of leadership is understanding what people are good at, okay? We all do better when we're working in an area that we have competence in, but also have confidence in. And so sometimes we delegate with something that the people that person is not necessarily that good at and 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 then it just makes it harder and more complicated that's item number 1 item number 2 that i've said many times is nobody's going to do it exactly the way you do it nobody is ever going to interview the way you interview justine okay they are going to bring their own approach their own style now have you created some parameters of what you expect and what you want from that. But I think so much of leadership is recognizing that you can't clone yourself, okay? Nor do you really want to. That's all part of authentic leadership themselves. And you have to create a little bit of a broader perspective and then learn to give feedback on, well, this worked, but this didn't work so well. But as you grow as a leader and you're leading in a group, recognize that there are many talents in the room and part of your responsibility and, and, and opportunity as a leader is to begin to understand the different gifts, okay? What are the different gifts, gifts in the team that I'm leading or the group that I'm handling? Uh, some people are great writers. Some people are fabulous on technology. Some people, um, so, so, so you really genuinely get to know them because what does that do? is they also begin to see, oh, you see me, you, you, you understand who I am. And that begins the concept of psychological safety, that it's safe for me to take a risk. Whether I'm an introvert or extrovert, I'm willing to try this, and I'm not going to be punished if I don't do it perfectly. We have got to throw out the notion that we've got to be perfect with something right from the start. Any well-developed skill uh, requires development, skill development, okay? And that is part of, of letting go of that. And there's a phrase of adopting a growth mindset. And a growth mindset says, 
well, here's where I am today. And if I work at it, I can get better. Whereas a fixed mindset, and Carol Dweck mentioned this, she has a whole book on it. A fixed mindset says, this is all I am. And uh, I am, I, I'm going to be afraid if you challenge what I don't know. And this starts to fall into inauthentic leadership. And when people cannot grow and cannot adapt and are feeling insecure, then that turns into, I have to put you down so I feel better. And that yeah. leads into destructive leadership. Okay. Yeah. I have to be better than. Whereas a growth mindset accepts that you're not perfect. And again, everybody's going to model the behavior of the leader. I accept that I'm not good at everything and I need your help. That's not always easy for leaders to say, I can't do it all and I need your help. Yeah, but that it, comes from a sense of security inside. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I'm I'm just thinking along with um, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset. In the growth mindset, just on a very personal level, and and being personally aware that I know that that you really prescribe the idea that we can activate our neuroplasticity. Yes. And how that can serve us. Okay, well, I'll try to give you a snapshot of that. And that's a big topic. And you have some remarkable people that you've already interviewed in New Dimensions with Rick Hansen. Yes. Who is a neuropsychologist who talks about it. But neuroplasticity is the discovery that our mindset can change over time. But it takes time. And it literally is a rewiring of how our minds work, our neurons actually change. And so through practices, let's just say for a moment, let me think for a moment. Let's just assume that I'm, um, let's just assume that I get very anxious when I'm driving in the rain, okay? Because I've been in several accidents, et cetera, et cetera. Well, first and foremost, what happens when it starts raining is, uh uh-oh, it's unsafe out there. And then I'll sit back and say, well, wait a minute. Is this a good day to drive? If I still have to get there, what are the steps that I need to take? And I talk myself out of my anxiety. But over time, you're literally rewiring. I don't have to be anxious about it. I need to be thoughtful about it. Mm. And luckily, we have the capacity as human beings to go through that kind of rewiring. As you know, I've done a lot of work in different parts of the world, including in sub-Saharan Africa and uh, other parts of Africa as well, the West Africa, as well as East Africa. And these individuals have experienced an awful lot of trauma. And so I mean, what I've learned, because I do a lot of work on conflict resolution, is these people have a real aversion for conflict. Actually, they don't seek it because they know the worst pot- parts of it. And so a lot of what they need to do is not just run away from that conflict, but to calm it down and make the assessment well, I have this old programming where it's definitely not safe, but is that relevant to today? Is that relevant in my circumstances? So part of what we do is we overcome these old habits of thinking and projections and are able to look at things in a fresh way. And that's what the beauty of neuroplasticity does, is we really can retrain our thinking and retrain our minds. You mentioned your work in South Africa specifically, 
And this reminds me, and it, it I believe is related to neuroplasticity. Uh, I haven't been to South Africa, but I've been to Ireland. And when I was in Ireland with Michael, we rented a car. And Michael said, okay, Justine, you have to drive. And not only was it a car, it was a stick shift. (laughs) And I had to then reprogram myself immediately about driving on a different side of the road than I was used to and had driven for all of my life. And like when you when you're on that wrong side of the road, you have to really program yourself when especially making a turn to know what lane you should end up in on the other side of that turn. And that's where you, I think we really get to practice on a body level that neuroplasticity. Uh, would you agree? Because you've driven in South Africa. Oh, yeah. Well, y- yes. And it, it they drive on the other side of the road. And I've learned to describe it not as the wrong side of the road. It's wrong to us, but it's right to them. And so on is, is, is literally you have to get into a different mindset. But coming back to that, Justine, you've just now introduced another. So all of a sudden, you're in a new context. And that's the other thing about when you know who you are, you can say, well, I don't know this context, but I think I can figure it out. I think I can I can make my adaptation and I can move forward. That's staying engaged in the present and not in the past, but it requires an openness and it requires an open mindset. And so what you what I will tell you what I learned quite a while ago when I would go, because everything looks the same. You get to the you get to the rental agency. It still is the same agency. You get in the car, and the first thing they do is you open up the trunk, which we call the trunk, and they call the boot. I put my I put my bags in, and then I sit in the in the passenger seat because that's where the driver's seat is. And I'm going, <laughs> oh, I'm not I'm not in I'm not in Kansas anymore, Toto. I am definitely not in Kansas anymore. And so then what I and I've done it enough, but I still have to reorient. I have to reorient. Is what I end up doing is. I learn to watch somebody else who's driving and I follow them, okay? Which now you've introduced another critical concept is we have in our brain something known, and it's only been discovered in the last eight to 10 years. We have something known as mirror neurons. We have neurons in our brain that take in information and it mirrors to us what we need to be doing. Well, that's how we learn, okay? And so so what I do is I won't remember because I'm so used to driving on the other side of the road. I, I need to follow somebody who's familiar with this. And this is another aspect of modeling behavior, of, of allowing others to, oh, this is how we need to do this in a way that's safe and so forth. But the concept of mirror neurons, that's how we learn. We learn from others. And we can speed up that learning when we let go of our assumptions of, this is the only way to do it. Okay. I mean, can you imagine if you had if you had sat back and said, uh-uh, I'm gonna drive on the right side of the road because that's the way we do it. Well, you wouldn't have lasted five minutes, okay? You would have been smacked and so on. 
But yeah, yeah, I have to admit, Michael had a lot of confidence in saying, to you, well, you're now driving. Okay. <laughs> he did. He did. It was great. And I actually did it quite well. And I was very happy to do it because I knew I would be better at it than he was. <laughs> well, good. Yeah. Well, see, well, isn't that a beautiful? Now, that's another beautiful example. You probably had, after decades of living with this man and, and being in the car with him, you had figured out, I think I drive more safely than he drives. Okay? Yeah, exactly. That's, a, that's an honest assessment. It's not judging him as a person. Right. Oh, great. <laughs> I'm here with Marguerite Calloway, and we're talking about everyday leadership, which we all experience and how we can be better at it. If you want more information about her work, you can go to her website, callawayleadership.com. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Marguerite Calloway, and we, I'm calling her Maggie Calloway, and she is the co-founder and leader of Calloway Leadership Institute. We were just talking about mirror neurons, and that takes me then to another skill I know that you would say is, is very important in any leadership role is empathy. That has to do with that mirroring neurons, the, that capacity we have. So let's talk about having empathy as a leader. What, how important is that? Well, again, I want to continue to stay focused on constructive leadership. But I'm, I'm going to do it as a contrast to destructive leadership or exploitative leadership. And exploitative leadership are those individuals where it's all about them and it's all about winning. And if you're not on their side, they don't deserve to live or they don't deserve to be in office or they don't deserve to be in your room, et cetera, et cetera. But so these people are devoid of empathy. There is not the capacity. So what is empathy? At the core, one of the best ways to think about it is you have the capacity to step back and walk a mile in that other person's shoes. How is that person feeling? What's going on inside of them? And so effective leaders have strengthened and cultivated emotional intelligence. And so empathy is one of the core qualities of emotional intelligence. And in emotional intelligence, I'll just briefly, you know, there are the four qualities of emotional intelligence. The first one is self-awareness, which is what we've talked about, of being in touch with your own emotions. And then there's self-management. Again, it's emotional intelligence. It's not IQ. It's emotional intelligence. And then there is the whole notion of self-management. Here are my emotions. How, how do I manage my emotions? Those are the two personal competencies that people who are emotionally intelligent have. The second one, the social competencies. And people often talk about social or social awareness. And empathy is one of those qualities, the ability 
and the care to understand how that other person is feeling, how that other person is feeling, what are their emotions? And we're having to come to terms with this as we really try to create a more safe and fair and just environment is people get hurt without even, they're mindless in the way that they do hurt. There's intentional hurt, but there's a lot that is not. And so empathy is the capacity to actually have an appreciation of what the other person is. And I want to distinguish, which is really important, Justine, between empathy and sympathy. They come from two different words. Sympathy is pathos, okay? Pathos, which is which is a word for pity, okay? You can watch somebody else and have pity for them, as opposed to empathy, empathetic, is, oh, I can appreciate how they're feeling. Do you, there's a, that's an important distinction. And then the fourth quality is relationship management. And you need social awareness. You need self-management, self-awareness to be effective in your relationships. And at the end of the day, leadership, authentic leadership is about relationships, okay? It's all about how do I relate to others? How do I influence others? How do I do this? It's moving beyond the notion of I can use brute force. Because the truth is, we know where brute force leads us. If, if you don't like the person or don't agree with a particular point of view, we go into conflict, and at the end of the day, I'm going to kill you before you kill me, kind of thinking, and so forth. And we've got to move beyond that view of how do we resolve conflict? How do we resolve disagreements as you go forward? So empathy is just one of the most critical qualities that authentic leaders develop and cultivate. And one of the most important ways of doing that is recognizing uh, and accepting the the variety of human beings that there are in the world. As I said before, I've had the opportunity of working in numerous places and numerous cultures. And what I have learned is underneath the culture, they're still the same human being. As Rick Hansen says, the neuropsychologist, we all have the same brain. We all have the same brain, but how it's developed and cultivated over time is right. something that is different. Does that? Oh, absolutely. Several times you've mentioned something about um, safety in a group, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and you mentioned conflict. And I know there we are all learning to be aware of our microaggressions. You know mm-hmm. how how we we might step in step into the fray and and say something, and it offends someone else. And in a recent interview with Omkari Williams, we were talking about this, and she used the term, instead of talking about being inclusive with our group, she said, it's about belonging to our group. It's a very, do you feel the difference, uh, oh, I'm going to include you in my group, or I want you to belong in my group. And that's what I think you are alluding to when you talk about safety in a group situation. Well, yes. And I think, again, with inclusive, well, you're sitting in the room, but that doesn't mean I'm actually paying attention to you. Uh, I've, I've, I've checked the box to say, well, I have a variety of diverse individuals, but do I feel included in that? And so, as we're growing an understanding of how we create safe environments and so forth, 
there has to be a sense of belonging. How do we, how do I, 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 I don't have to, I can be myself as I fit in. Now, let's make the assumption that that person also is not trying to do harm, okay? Right. Is also not trying to, to do harm. But that requires, again, very strong emotional intelligence. And, and it's an interpersonal skill of, of an openness of, well, you're different than me. You don't talk the way I talk. You don't look the way I look. You don't you you don't speak many of much of the same language, but if you begin with the assumption, but we're all soon human beings, and that I know in my absolute deepest part of my heart, is we're all human beings. What is it that we can discover among ourselves? And that creates an environment of inclusive belonging, is not only am I in the room, but I'm actually actively participating in it because I'm not going to be put down or shut down if I have a differing point of view. And see, that's another thing that I can tell you about leadership is it requires uh, it requires courage. It requires a lot of courage to be able to sit back. First and foremost, I don't know all the answers, <laughs> but I believe that we can get there. But you also need to have a vision of here's where we're trying to get to. That's part of leadership is where are we going? What are we doing? I mean, as you and I were preparing for this interview, you gave me some guidelines. Here's where I want to go with this interview. Uh, knowing knowing that you know my work so well, but you knew who you want, who your audience is, and what do I need to bring forward? So, so having a clear vision of where are we headed? That's something that people need during this incredible time of uncertainty. Of where the heck are we going with all the craziness? And you know that so much of going on is being fed, let's be afraid, let's withdraw, let's give up, let's do all of those other things. And so again, a critical quality of of, of leadership is courageness of weak and and a belief that we can get where we where we need to go by including a much larger uh, group of perspectives and individuals, which then Justine leads to another concept. And I know you've also covered this with your with your physicists and others, is we have complicated problems, but then we have complex problems. Now, complicated problems actually can be looked at because you can take apart the parts, and they're kind of like engineering problems. Like, uh, guess what? I don't quite have my timer turned on, but you can figure out the timer. That's a technical solution, to a but it's not complex. Complex are whether you want to talk about uh, the challenges of, of the climate, whether you want to talk about uh, political divisions, these are complex issues. And a single point of view does never solve it. You've got to have multiple perspectives. And when you have created a safe environment where every idea is, is respected, doesn't mean you have to agree with it. Then all of a sudden you start creating new opportunities. Well, I didn't look at it that way. And that's what we're needing to do so much, Justine, right now, is we've got to come up with new solutions, new solutions, not not the old way of doing, because as as I said, patterns in an interview you and I did decade, I don't know, quite a while ago. Maybe yes, we did. Six or seven years ago, patterns break down. Well, guess what? Our patterns are breaking down. They're pretty broke down. Nothing's working the way it's it used to work, whether that's our our water quality or whether that's whatever it is, how do we 
How do we step forward and embrace the uncertainty? And that is where leadership comes in. I yeah, I I see what you're saying. And that reminds me, as as you say, it's complex. And it, it to live in what seems like the chaos of complexity, uh, but everything is kind of interrelated. This leads uh to the need, I believe, in uh productive conversations, I'll call them. And so I'd like to ask you, how do we step into productive conversations? You know, not just spinning our wheels, so to speak. Help us to know, how can I help my group to have a productive conversation? Well, that's so interesting that you bring that up because I just finished, as you know, I do a lot of online teaching, not only in my own on my own website, but also with some of the organizations where I'm a, a teacher, is I've just dealt a whole lot with dealing with constructive conflict and constructive conflict resolution. And one of the first steps that you need to come forward with this is, first of all, get to where are we trying to get to? Get to a positive statement, not a negative statement. Is if you can, at the very beginning, have a useful conversation of what is it that we're trying to, what's the problem we're trying to solve? So you begin with a vision. As I said, we don't know how we're going to get there, but let's get to what's the problem we're trying to solve. And then you can start including different perspectives around that. But there's an endpoint, a positive endpoint that you're getting to. So that's item number one. That's an agreed upon common goal that we're all committing to. So that's helpful. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Well, I'll I'll use a very simple one. Maybe one of the goals is to have more productive meetings because everybody's in meetings all the time. Okay. (laughs) And we have, can we have more productive meetings? And people will sit back and say, yeah, I'd like that too. And then you can start listing out who are the individuals who need to buy into that. Okay. Right. And become the stakeholders. Okay, right. exactly. And then and then you get down to what are their perspectives and where where do we where do we go with that? And then and then you get to very quickly what is our shared interests and all of a sudden you've opened the conversation and you'll come up with creative ideas. Exactly. I want to continue with this point because it's such a good one. I'm here with Marguerite Callaway. She is the co-founder and leader of the Callaway Leadership Institute. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Marguerite Calloway, and we're talking about leadership, everyday leadership. And we were just talking about how we can help people to feel and to belong to a group, not just feel it. How do we become belonging, belongers to a group? And and in that way, you said it's best to find a mutual goal or outcome that we all align with, and that's helpful. Is there anything else you want to say about that belonging yeah. to a group? Yeah. So now I want the other critical thing is now I'm going to start weaving together introversion and extroversion and self-contained and not is remember what I said was that one of the things Barack Obama always did was whenever he was dealing with a difficult issue, he would whenever whatever the meeting was, whether it was a cabinet meeting, whether it was the national security, he made sure that every person's point of view was on the table and they knew that going into the meeting. And so you don't have to do that, but but let's take this as an example of let's have more productive meetings. Some people will say, yes, we want that. But then when you get to the next issue, if you're trying to generate ideas, you need to make sure, well, what are your thoughts about that? What are your thoughts about that? And so you're starting to shift away from complaining about a problem to starting to generate ideas. And I'm using that one as, a, as an example because I, I can tell you, that has come up as a point of interpersonal conflict a lot. Yes. We're wasting our time. Why are we doing what we're doing, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so when you go through and you start including the other individuals, and it's as simple as writing it down. There's no idea that's a stupid idea. Let's us figure out our goal is to generate possibility as opposed to coming to the perfect solution. And then all of a sudden you're going to come up and what are you building? You're building mutualist understanding across the group as a whole. Oh, well, that's an idea. I never thought she had anything to say. My goodness, look at this as, as you come forward. And I'm going to continue on with that. That as an example is I've watched how things will come. Well, guess what? I just now that we're everything's on Zoom, I just went from one meeting to the next meeting to the next meeting. And so one possible suggestion was, well, maybe our meeting should only be 50 minutes long, not an hour long. Okay, that's number one. Number two, maybe we need to send out an, an agenda in advance so people know what the meeting is for. Number three, maybe we need to question, do we need this meeting? You know, I mean, do you see I'm using very simple examples. I, that's why that's a relevant one, because we all can relate to that, is you're generating possibilities. You're generating possibilities and ideas. And then you've got a whole richness of people with this. And you as the leader can say, well, maybe we can do a vote. How many people we should think we should do that? At the end of the day, you need to be making it. But you've shifted the dynamics of everybody sitting around protecting their ideas and protecting themselves. And that's the notion of psychological safety. Psychological safety, it, it's been shown again and again is it's when you feel that you will not be criticized or punished if you make a mistake or you you won't be belittled because of your ideas. This is all moving beyond microaggression and so forth to into a much more constructive way of looking at that. And so part of what a leader is able to do is to create an environment where it's safe to learn, okay? And what did I say? We're facing really complicated things and we have to learn 
Well, you're not going to take a risk if you don't think it's safe. You're not going to try something new if you don't think it's 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 safe. And um, so that's that's another key component to it. I know you mentioned early on um, something about the the two kinds of problems. You know, the ones that can be fixed, uh, like just okay, we just need another part. And complexity, and what was the other word you used? Well, the one is the complicated problems. Complicated, complicated. tend to be complicated problems. You and can kind of see the way, and those are the ones that we can just fix. The complex ones are we don't know what the answer is, and they have to have multiple multiple perspectives to I, come up. With. I, I want to ask something about that because I had um, this is about staying in the landscape of the complexity of a problem. This is about trying to go to a quick fix. Like I know for myself, I did that one time and I was part of a board and we were go- it was a complex problem. And I said, oh, here's what we should do. We should just all divide up into different groups and do do this and come back to the group and give our suggestions. And somebody in the group said to me, well, Justine, that's a good idea, but I haven't really felt like we have stayed in the landscape of the complexity of the problem. I don't understand enough about the problem yet to come to any sort of um, solution yet. And I... I learned a lot from that, Maggie, in that moment because it 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 reminded me of how, in my thinking and in maybe in our our culture in general here in the U.S., that we jump to quick fixes without understanding the full complexity of the problem. Oh, it definitely does. And and guess what? Sometimes it's really good to have complicated problems that we can take some early wins with. You're trying to build confidence around some of that as it goes forward. But the truth is, I don't care what the issues are that we're facing, they're not easy. What does education in the future look like? How do we deal with the huge number of unhoused people in a market? You know, I mean, these are, these are ext- what are we doing with all the, the warring that's going on in the world and so forth? And these are complex sets of issues, but they're interrelated. And I think that part of what so much of good leadership is acknowledging your own humanity is is it's a combination from my word of we don't know the answer yet, but I believe we can get there if we can listen to each other and be creative in our solutions. And I do believe we're needing to come up with creative solutions because our old our old solutions always create unintended consequences. And that's one of the problems, Justine, about a quick fix is you get you get to an answer, but you haven't looked at what are the trade-offs? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean yeah. to do this. I didn't and then and then you've just aggravated the problem as it goes forward. And I just think that's what we're in the process of working through as a as a culture, as a society. It's a global set of issues. Yes. yes. And yes. one of the things that I I want to say about new dimensions because I am familiar with your remarkable courses and programs, is I believe that that, that part of what New Dimensions is able to do and has done for 
over 50 years, that's a half a century, Justine. That's a half a century is the depth and range of the topics that you cover. And you cover topics of everything from philosophy to to religion to practicality to health, whatever. There's a full range of that. But one of the things that you do, because you've done a lot of the interviews and you know the body, is you tend to synthesize. And I think you and I were talking about what is it that that a good leader has is the capacity to synthesize a variety of perspectives. And synthesize is one word, but I think the other word was comprehensive. And so if we can accept that there are multiple dimensions and that we're going to not get to an easy solution, but we can work our way forward and we're going to learn as we go what's working and what's not. That's the other thing that I've learned is having pilots as opposed to betting the whole farm makes a whole lot of sense. Let's try this first. Okay. Yeah. Great. You know, and I I want to go into here as we're coming to the end of our conversation here, which is just so rich, is the idea of deep listening. And mm-hmm. that's part of the whole ball game, isn't it? Is so how can we become more skillful deep listeners? Well, and one of the things that I've done over the course of my teaching and the course of my coaching others is I try to use evidence so it's not just my opinion. And so there's very good evidence that our capacity to listen has gone down, not up. And one of the reasons as to why is we're distracted all the time. We have short attention spans, all of those other aspects. And so what what I talk about is active listening. And you can't do active listening all of the time because it requires, it's again, it's a, it's a learned skill, but, but there are five components to active listening. And those are, first of all, turn down the mindless chatter. Our mind does not like to be quiet. It loves to be distracted over and over and over again. Turn down that, that mindless chant. Uh, just know that it's there. And and that and 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 get familiar with your listening habits. Do you cut people off? Do you get you tune out when you get bored? Okay, so that's number one. Number two, we communicate, even though you do everything in on audio, we are primarily a visual being. Okay, we as human beings, at least in modern day. And so you need to recognize that it's it's how you say the words not just it's the tone of voice that you say. And so so when you can, if you're having a serious conversation, try to have it by looking at one another because we talk with so much more than just our words, all right? Number three, don't interrupt. Number four, number four is um, give feedback. Is this is what you said, not just don't jump into problem solving. And number five, acknowledge that that other person is worth listening to. Uh. Oh, thank you so much. You really got that all in a nutshell. That was wonderful. I want to thank you, Maggie, for being with us today. I've been here with Maggie Calloway, and she is the co-founder and leader of Calloway Leadership, and that's her website. You can find her on callawayleadership.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3805. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org, or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.